0: such a time as this. The Whistleblower Report offers truth and solutions. Welcome to the Whistleblower Report from Truth for Health Foundation. This is Dr. Lee for America here with another team of our whistleblowers who are bringing you the truth about the lies, deceptions, and all of the assaults on our way of life, your freedom, and your life. For such a time as this, we are here to bring you truth, hope, and solutions. Check out our website, www.truthforhealth.org, for medical help, legal help, And all of the other resources, join us in our Faith Over Fear seminars each Tuesday night via Zoom at 8 o'clock Eastern Time every week. And now, here is your host for today.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Pediatric Report. This is Monique Robles
2: and Nicole Landers.
1: We're so grateful to be with you today. The last time we were with you, we were talking about an overview of the attacks on our children that can be categorized as direct and indirect. And we we spoke that we would give you further detailed information on both of these categories as well as solutions in moving forward in this culture we're experiencing. Today, we're going to speak on direct attacks that have an immediate threat to life of our children, and these include abortion, euthanasia, and the hidden aid in suicide.
3: And then in the second half, we'd like to speak
1: about one of the direct attacks that really is life-threatening, has undue harm and uh, potential deadly consequences. So, Nicole, um, I think we should just start off with um, discussing abortion. We know that's a big topic in our country, especially with the overturn of Roe v. Wade and bringing the decision making back to the states.
2: Yes, absolutely. An extremely emotionally charged, moral and ethical Uh, discussion in our country right now, and praise God for the overturning of Roe v. Wade. But sure, it has been quite a ordeal across our country as states regain their uh, power, as it's always been established. Um, I think there's been a lot of confusion in the general public as to whether the overturning of Roe v. Wade Illegalizes it actually doesn't illegalize the killing of the infants, but it turns the power back over to the states to make those decisions. Either way, this has been just a horrific evil assault on our nation's most vulnerable members, the unborn.
1: Absolutely. It's interesting um, when we look at sort of the, the global picture the United States is one in, I believe, seven countries who allow termination of infants up to birth. So regardless of of the overturn of Roe v. Wade, we still have states that allow the ending of a child's life just up to term. Um, And uh, many of the states actually implemented this uh, these um, statutes in preparation for the
2: overturn of Roe v. Wade. They sure did. And um, all praise to the states who are moving as quickly as possible to uh, end abortion and how egregious states like California and some of the other Um, very liberal-minded states that they are opening up the doors and inviting um, the nation's citizens to flock to their states to murder children, um, the unborn, when the individual's home state has outlawed this barbaric and evil procedure. Yes,
1: um, we will... We know that there's um, been an, a great weaponization of medicine on many fronts, and this is just another one of those. And uh, the just the financial report from Planned Parenthood speaks to this. There is um, an, a research arm for the for the pro life movement. Susan B. Anthony list. It's called the Charlotte Lozier Institute. And I can, we can resource this in our uh, note, show notes, but what I'd like to say is that Planned Parenthood makes most of their money from abortions. They are not about the health of women. Um, they reported $1.7 billion in income in 2020-21 and over 2.1 billion in net assets. So it just goes to show where the evil agenda lies. Absolutely.
2: And I just want to share with the listener, um, after the overturn of Roe v. Wade, my pastor at my church here in Florida said something really awesome. And I feel like churches around the country need to be speaking and doing the same thing and i'm sure many are but the silence in the church is deafening um but he shared that the responsibility has always been with the church and it's been an abysmal failure that the churches haven't been in action in the communities helping the mothers who have uh become pregnant and not known what to do uh it's always been the responsibility of, of the Christian community and the churches to be out there helping these women with solutions, resources, and support. Right.
1: The, I think the community-based pro-life pregnancy centers have done a phenomenal job because they have been the, the resource that these women have needed, the welcoming resource. Um, without the gain of of all the the tangible revenue, they they work on donations, and they provide support not only for the for the baby but also the mother, oftentimes throughout pregnancy and then after words as well um, to establish uh, a safe environment for the mother and child, and uh, a really I mean that is a true commitment to the the lives of
2: both individuals absolutely monique the the thing is our words have to have action to them and the action is in the pro-life centers and the churches who stand up and go out and support these pro-life centers and get involved Um, it is the fundamental difference and it's a piece that's been missing from our society for so long. It's a paradigm shift in the appreciation and understanding of just how precious life is and putting that into action. Um, Prayerfully, it ignites a reawakening in our nation about just how wonderfully and fearfully made each human life is and we know, as we've talked before, that the longevity of a nation, the, the vital health of a nation is determined by how that nation treats its most vulnerable members, the children.
1: Yes, yes. And to be a nation of child sacrifice in so many areas is, is really a, a dooming thought for our nation,
2: Yes, it is. And we need to call it what it is. And that's been part of the problem for so long. It is child sacrifice. This isn't anything different than what has been detailed to us in the Bible throughout human history. It's a repeat of it. And it's exactly what it is. And trying to change the narrative, um, while it's been effective in the short term, it bears truth in the long term you know truth and time go hand in hand and the reality is this has been the sacrifice of the children um supposedly for the good of the mother but actually it's for the convenience of the mother for Most of the time, I know you have some statistics to share about that. Just how much of this is based on convenience and complete devaluing of life versus medical necessity.
1: Right. Well, uh, the convenience is very short-lived because once that attack is, is made, the woman is scarred for life. So there are emotional and oftentimes physical scars that cannot be erased. And the pro-abortion community, Planned Parenthood, will not be there for this woman during those times. Um, whereas the pro-life community has proven time and time again uh, to be the, the, the stalwart um, community and stalwart warriors for, for these women. Uh, We know that, um, uh, you know, we're talking about some statistics. I just want to say that there was an analysis that showed that since 2016, more than 800,000 human lives have been saved through these community-based pro-life pregnancy centers, 800,000. I mean, it's, it seems like a small, percentage when we look at over, um, you know, 60 million children that have been aborted since the beginning of Roe v. Wade. But I just, um, but it's, but it's not negligible. We have to see that every child's life is, is just this gem in the crown
3: of our Lord. Absolutely.
2: Um, Since before we were born, the Lord knitted us in the womb fearfully and wonderfully. And there is such a thing as natural law that was put in place by our creator that we are called to honor
3: and preserve life. It's written in our conscience
2: and the taking of life has destructive consequences on the individual. And that is absolutely bore out in what these women suffer after they go through this horrific experience.
3: Right.
1: So my... My call to our audience is to is to be supportive of these pregnancy centers. Many of them uh, really work on volunteers, um, and I think that uh, we as a community can come together, whether it be with uh, financial support or support of our time, um, to help these these women in you know what the world considers a crisis pregnancy.
2: Absolutely. And Monique, I'd like to add another call to the listening audience today. And that is the message of grace. For any woman who has experienced an abortion or for those in your lives who may have, our Lord is full of grace and love and If this is a decision that you've made in your life, in your past, please know that there's forgiveness, mercy, and love for you, and healing. Um, There should not be condemnation. There should be a place for healing, particularly amongst those of us who profess the Lord. Um, We're called to show forgiveness, mercy, and grace to those who have been um, harmed by the lies of the evil one. Right, there's
1: a ministry known as Rachel's Vineyard to help with a lot of the post-abortion healing. And uh, oftentimes these women who've experienced these tragedies are the greatest, um, uh, I would say disciples or apostles in the movement, in the pro-life movement. Um, so I encourage people to, to, to check out Rachel's
2: Vineyard as well. Absolutely. And we definitely will include information, um, in the show description for anyone who wants to reach out and learn more about this organization or how to get involved. That's great. Thank you.
1: We should probably move on to the the next uh, direct attack with a with an immediate threat to life, and that's euthanasia. We often think of euthanasia in the elderly. Of course, it's not technically legal here in the United States. Uh, assisted physician-assisted suicide is where a physician can provide. Um, basically a deadly cocktail to a patient or a suffering individual to end their life. Whereas euthanasia is a direct um, administration of whatever cocktail or or terminal medication to the individual, Um, that would be a direct, so that would be euthanasia. But what's happening is euthanasia occurs in other countries, for example, in the Netherlands and Belgium, in the pediatric population. And we would be naive to think that we're immune from this in the future.
2: Absolutely. I agree. It's a slippery slope. Um, And once a nation is on that slippery slope, the laws of physics and, um, you know, destruction apply. things tend to break down um, without truth and revival. Um, we find that when we disregard life, we, you know, the nation will disregard life in increasing amounts. Monique, um, can you talk to the listening audience today a little bit more about some of these uh, euthanasia practices with regard to the children? Sure. Um, yeah, I'd a, I. I. It, it's so horrific. It's a kind of a listener's warning. It, but we need to we need to inform the
3: public.
1: Absolutely. So uh, pediatric euthanasia is currently legal in the Netherlands and Belgium. Like I mentioned, Netherlands was the first country to legalize the minors and Belgium uh, quickly followed suit. Currently, the Netherlands authorizes the killing of infants one year of age and under, and then 12 and over. There has been a discussion Really, for the past several years, to include children's ages one to twelve, um, and removing all age limits. This actually is already the case in Belgium for any any child that it that is deemed to be quote terminal. Um, so there's uh, protocols, um, but regardless, there. How is it that a child or an infant? could even give consent. They can't. So essentially it's another individual, whether it be the parents or the caretakers in conjunction with a healthcare provider, a physician, determining the value of a child's life. And in May 2021, the American College of Pediatricians not the American Academy of Pediatrics, but the American College of Pediatricians wrote a statement here in the United States condemning euthanasia and assisted suicide in minors. And we need to be cognizant of this. So this statement was put out because there is a threat that this could be potential, potentially here in our country in the future, in the near future.
2: And I think it's really important to dig into this a little bit more. Exactly what you were saying. Who is it that determines the value of a life? At and at what point does this stop? Is it, it it's terminal today? What what defines a, a terminal illness today? What could it be moving down the line? Um, do suddenly the decision makers conclude that a child with autism or cerebral palsy is terminal? Um, you know, what What horrific trenches can we end up in when we let a panel of decision makers conclude what constitutes a life of value and when is that life no longer valuable? Right,
1: right. These... Um... These are direct attacks, direct attacks on the human person with a subjective understanding of what the dignity of a human being is. We we are not the determinants of that. Only God gives and takes. And so this is once again a removal of, of God in our society as we as we see humanity as something only physical and not spiritual we it's a, it's a removal of the divine in the human
2: that's exactly right and it's it's done without consent of the child mm-hmm. the child's not able to speak into this and i i just would like to share for over 20 years, I have served as a pediatric nurse working with very medically complex children. Some of them with trachs and ventilators, um, virtually all with feeding tubes. These are children and families that live out their lives in the community um, who could easily be determined by these decision makers as having less valuable life as they're confined to wheelchairs some with cognitive challenges i can attest that every one of these lives made beautifully and wonderfully by our creator who experience joy and their their parents experience joy and fulfillment of life it, it's it's terrifying to think that this practice could come into our country and we could see these precious lives um, devalued by the very fact that they don't fit inside of a bill of being, quote unquote, normal.
1: Right. You know, um, we talk about voluntary and non-voluntary or involuntary euthanasia and presumably it's in adults, we presume it's voluntary. Although that's questionable because oftentimes adults are seeking assistance in in ending their life because of mental health problems. But when it comes to children, I don't think we could ever claim that it's voluntary as Nicole was saying, because there there is not a cognitive capacity to understand the ramifications of the entire situation so i would argue that it never could be voluntary
3: in a in a child or a minor
2: i completely agree monique it definitely could not be voluntary at all. and if the child was able to communicate based on 20 years of experience working with these children, um, that that I had the blessing of being part of their lives, they <laughs> have robust experiences and joy and deserve the opportunity, to live as they were made and their families to be able to bond and be a part of their lives. And um, it's, it's significant and it's, it's profound.
0: And
1: I think one of the greatest fundamental misunderstandings is the, the, the value of suffering. We don't, we need to value suffering as in not wish suffering upon others. But when others suffer, that is an opportunity to, to accompany the individual. We don't rid ourselves of the individual. We accompany the individual to bring a greater elevation to suffering. Our Christ, our Lord, suffered. There, this is a fundamental misunderstanding in the medical community. We want to just rid of all suffering. We do our best to rid and restore health, but the value of suffering cannot be undermined. And we cannot erase an individual simply to erase suffering. That's
2: absolutely true. Um, I couldn't agree more. Um we are going to go out for a short break and when we come back we're going to continue to discuss direct attacks on our children. You are listening to the whistleblower report brought to you by Truth for Health Foundation. We would love for you to check out our website at www truthforhealth.org. That's truthforhealth.org. Sign up for our newsletter alerts and join us in our fight for medical freedom on all fronts. Hello, everyone. This is Lieutenant Mark Bashaw, U.S. Army and legal grant recipient of the Truth for Health Foundation. I want to give a huge shout out to the Truth for Health Foundation for helping me and my family over the past year with our legal battles. Recently, I was court-martialed for not participating with these experimental COVID-19 emergency use authorized products. If it wasn't for Truth For Health Foundation and all the support, I would definitely be in a worse spot. But because of all the support, I'm able to continue uniform service, fighting for what's right to protect the Constitution against enemies, foreign and domestic. God bless each and every one of you, and God bless America.
0: America Out Loud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when
2: you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. We are America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Cold and flu season is here. Wouldn't it be great if you had a way to minimize airborne viral threats? Well, now there is, and it's a povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray called Cofix RX. You might even say it's just what the doctor ordered. To reduce your chance of getting hurt, you wear a safety belt when you're driving. To limit sun damage, you wear sunscreen on the beach. Cofix RX is just like that. It's an additional layer of protection. It's sold by thousands of pharmacists and medical doctors nationwide. It's made right here in the USA. Again, it's a pulvidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray. You've heard them talk about it here on the Outloud Network over and over again. Check out cofixrx.com. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com for a retailer near you or use coupon code OUTLOUD for 20% off at cofixrx.com. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either fogger with promo code Outloud With Genesis, you're ready for anything.
0: Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more so please visit myfreedoctor.com where we're healing america one person at a time
1: welcome back to the pediatric report we are here talking about the direct attacks on our children nicole and i have been discussing abortion euthanasia and uh, how these lead to really an immediate threat to life by killing the child there's also um Another front that uh, individuals may not be aware of how society is encouraging and even assisting children and teens to end their lives. There was, um, I was recently alerted to a a new lawsuit that was filed against Amazon at the end of September in the Superior Court of the state of California. Um, And this lawsuit was filed by parents of deceased teens who had purchased. Lethal kits containing sodium nitrite from this company and went on to commit suicide. So the concern is that these online tech companies and social media is contributing to not only the the, the mental disease in our children, but in a way, encouraging the ending of life.
2: I, <laughs> Monique, when you shared this with me, I literally was stunned with terror at how absolutely depraved Amazon must be and the makers of this product to put something out with instructions and medications to prevent vomiting, scales to weigh a lethal dose. This is unconscionable. And as a mother who has teenage kids, they have access to technology. Um, anyone listening today, uh, if they have teenage children, they know there's a there's a part of their world we don't have access to, and sometimes they don't really talk to us to think that this is something that's possible. I and mean, these children accessed these products unbeknownst to the parents, you can set up an Amazon account without regard to your age. I know for a fact, I I um, helped my son set one up for some trading card business that he runs. And of course I have the ability to monitor and control it. And he's an extremely trustworthy child, but wow, to think how readily these teens are able to access this is, it's, it's shocking to me. It is. It's a, it's a scary
1: um, time and a thought for, for parents. And, and I think that just brings us, you know, to the reality that, That our children are the most valuable possessions or the most most valuable gifts, I should say, in our lives have to be watched. Not that we don't give them their independence, but we have to closely scrutinize all of these agendas that come at them oftentimes unbeknownst. To parents through, through the, the digital communication and it's laying a foundation of their value, their importance, um, to the lot, to our own lives, but to the lives of others, that is what people, that's what these children need. They need to know their value and they need to be affirmed. In their value.
2: well that is so true and I know that I'm speaking the language of a lot of listeners today who have children that utilize technology it is it is a challenge you know I have two generations of kids so to speak I have children in their mid to late 20s and then I have teenagers raising the children this this younger, Group of kids is profoundly difficult. Um, we're inside a generation of, of kids coming up through um, the primary years. They don't know a world outside of technology unless the parents keep them from it. Every aspect of their world involves the internet, technology in some dimension. And um, I battle it with my own kids who. We keep a much tighter rein on them than the, you know, the norm Um, to keep drawing them back to just because it says it on the internet or you experience it in some form of social media experience doesn't make it real. Now, I had occasion just recently with a teen in the community, I volunteer as a nurse at a local private school. The The student ingested shellfish knowing she was allergic to shellfish without any regard to reality versus the fictitious world that, that some of these kids live in on the internet. This has life and death consequences, and the children have difficulty deciphering reality from the fiction that they immerse themselves in, um, on, online and social media. Right.
1: That's a great example, Nicole, of, of a cry for help. It's just a cry for help. It's, um, it's, it's the extreme of saying nobody's listening to me or nobody sees me or I'm not, uh, uh, necessary in this society or of value to, to my family or my community. And so that is, that is the epitome of a cry for help when that child ingested something she knew was life-threatening. Well, I agree. In addition to,
2: um, in this, this child's case, she thought it was funny she had no ability to relate to um crazy tiktok mm-hmm. videos and what it means in reality that where the video cuts off there's there's a life there that has consequences for choices and the blurring of what's real and unreal has become so profound that i believe that it just further amplifies any child who's having a struggle, a suicidal ideation, an emotional struggle. they their lines of reality and consequence are so blurred while simultaneously having access to s- such things as um sodium nitrate, and you know, they can act pressing buttons, and taking steps before they even have a single interception point with what's real versus what their experience is online. Right, that goes to
1: speak to the uh, lack of of understanding, the cognition um, that is still developing in in these children and, and in these adolescents. Uh, the decision-making is is still in the formation process. And, um, you know, all of this is is what we've seen with the increase in uh, the social media outlets and the increase in the mainstream media of the prop- propagandization, <laughs> and prop- basically the increase in the propaganda that is being thrown, not only at children, but even at parents, which is going to lead me into now we're we're into another category of these direct attacks on life that are harmful and could have potentially deadly consequences. We've seen in the past year and a half how these mRNA, these experimental mRNA injections have been pushed upon children through propaganda, incentives that have really put them in a category of Of wellness, when that is not true, these are attacks on our children, on the actual DNA of our future generations.
2: For sure. And it's amazing what families, um, parents, the general population is thinking out there. You know, Truth for Health Foundation has a vaccine injury reporting system. And as the nurse advisor for the foundation, I do a lot of community outreach across the country. Um, Parents are making reports and I am helping families with children who have been harmed. And some of these families are shocked to find out that there are uh, potentially deadly consequences to these shots. You know, not too long ago, um, I attempted to help a family with a 12 year old who was experiencing um absolutely cardiac complications and um systemic inflammatory response to her COVID shots and the mother being dismayed just um Had shared with me that her daughter begged her to get the shots. She was 12. A 12-year-old doesn't have understanding of the consequences of taking an experimental um, gene therapy. And the parents wanting to respond to the child made a potentially deadly error. And now there's cardiac complications and we just don't even know what's going to happen for these children. Um, Myocarditis, things like this are just not part of the normal pediatric experience.
1: But that just, you know, that just speaks to the degree of, of what children are experiencing. Um, If they don't receive the injection, they're going to be excluded from activities, from sports, maybe even attending school, and so it, it's really um, an attack on on children in a, in a way where they are to feel excluded if they do not go along with this with this agenda. I mean. It, The sad thing is, is despite all the damning evidence that's coming out, the CDC is still uh, proposing and still pushing for these injections, even boosters that have only been tested on eight mice. And it was, it was, (laughs) it was an awful, you know, awful uh, sort of results. And based on these, they've okayed boosters now um, in the younger population. So uh, there was even a, a you know a study that came out, or a paper written at the end of August. It's fifty-page paper that was written by these um, individuals from Johns Hopkins and Harvard and the University of Oxford and others that basically showed that um, these if we continue with these mandates for boosters on college campuses for for individuals to actually attend school, we're gonna see anywhere from 18 to 98 times more serious adverse events in this population occurring in order to theoretically prevent one COVID-related hospitalization in an uninfected adult? I mean, come on. Most of the population's already had COVID, so they have natural immunity. So this is, this is egregious. It,
2: it's absolutely, completely egregious. When you think about this, when, when you critically think about this, you're going to inject a population of kids, young adults, with a booster jab, that's been tested on eight mice, no humans. It's
3: beyond all comprehension, and
2: you know you'd like to think if if the general population understood, if parents, if if the physician took the shot to the parents and said, "So, um, this booster, we have no evidence." from human trials or that um, this is safe, Um, eight mice received it and all contracted COVID after receiving this booster. Um, But you you can give it to your child and um, you should before you send your child back to school. I gotta wonder at that point, how many parents would still make this choice, but these parents, they aren't being given informed consent. And the, the physicians that are distributing these shots to children and young adults, um, they don't seek this information out, don't have this information, whatever it may be, but they're not distributing the important informed consent that parents and young adults need to have to make such decisions.
1: This um this just goes to show that this whole pandemic. Um, and these rollout of these injections is an experimentation on humanity. And you're right. The informed consent has completely evaporated in the medical community when it has come to uh, um, these products. We, you know, the parents need to know that the efficacy of the Pfizer injection turns negative over time. And this has been shown in the five to 11 year old population. So basically what we're saying is that children who were never at serious risk from the SARS-CoV-2, we know that. We know these chil- that children did well during uh, the, the worst of the COVID era. But they will now, if injected, will be more likely to contract the virus and potentially have more serious consequences after these injections. That's what the negative efficacy means.
3: So we are causing harm if, if we continue to inject children.
2: Absolutely. Not only causing harm and increasing um, The rate at which a child can contract COVID, but also all the harm that we see documented coming out in cardiac complications, blood clots, increased risk of cancer, autoimmune and neurological disorders. These are all causing harm to children. I'm sure there's a lot of listeners today who have an awareness of all this and are asking themselves, yes. Why and, you know, how is it happening that this information is out there and I can share some of it with my loved one who doesn't know and they won't listen or deny fact? And, um, our entire discussion this morning reminds me of a, um, interview, actually a series of interviews that I listened to with a defector from the KGB. Um, his name is Yuri Bezmanov. And he did a series of interviews with the media in the 70s and 80s, even into the early 90s, um, sharing information with the American public about um ideological subversion. Um, you can still see these on YouTube, uh, Yuri Y-U-R-I Besmanov, um, B-E-S, um. M-E-N-O-V is his name. And specific to ideological subversion, he shared that once a society is demoralized through education and the media, even if they are exposed to facts, most will not be able to embrace fact because they have been subverted by ideology and um, that has come through the education system, the media and entertainment. And I feel like this is part of the answer to the question why it is that even in the light of facts being presented, many of our listening audience probably are attempted to do so with loved ones. This is what's going on.
1: Right. Um, we can give we can give these these facts and these and these statistics but sometimes it takes, you know, the, the real life stories. We, you were just mentioning myocarditis. That's, that's one of the, the really prevalent, ominous uh, outcomes of, of these injections. And I've been uh, writing and on this for well over a year. Um, And every, every time I, (laughs) I go to update, you know, these myocarditis posts that I write, it's, it's just, more and more ominous the the evidence coming out, um, and I'd I'd like for our readers, I'm sorry, our listeners to hear uh, these these statistics, and then uh, I will give you some some real life uh, consequences of this. So, hopefully, um, we all know Dr. Peter McCullough, who's a who's a world renowned. COVID expert cardiologist, who's really been at the forefront of, of the harms of the SARS-CoV virus. And in addition, the um, injections that have followed, but he was in a round table discussion. And he uh, revealed that, that, you know, prior to COVID, the incidence of myocarditis in young people was about four cases in a million. But now he claims that he's quote, seeing this on a daily basis in his clinic. And there was um, data that came out from Kaiser that after the COVID injections, now we're seeing 537 cases per million. And then a prospective cohort study out of Bangkok, Thailand shows that the cases could be up to 25,000 per million per year. So You know, this is, this is concerning. And and in that study, nearly 30% of the adolescent patients experienced cardiovascular events following the second dose of the Pfizer injection. And we we know what happened with um, our dear friend, Ernest Ramirez's son. Five days after his injection, he passed away from acute myocarditis with a, with a heart on autopsy that was nearly twice the size of an adolescent his,
3: his age. It's heartbreaking, tragic, and deeply, deeply evil. This is the, the outcome of a nation running to a solution that was a lie, a, a provable lie that we don't know because this is new. It's nothing that we've experienced
2: before. How we come back from this? How do we heal? The people who have been injured, especially the children, they had no inf- no consent. <laughs> they were thrust into this, and now their lives taken or permanently harmed.
1: Right, and, and the concern is that the lies are still being propagated. You know, Rochelle wilinski the director of the CDC, said, oh, myocarditis is mild, Well, let me give the parents an understanding um, from a write up discussing the implications of myocarditis. These, you know, the immediate complications could be arrhythmias and dilated cardiomyopathy, congestive heart failure. But if we look at the mortality rate, that means the rate of dying, it's up to 20% at one year after diagnosis and up to 50% after five years. So it is not mild by any stretch of the imagination. And oftentimes after diagnosis with myocarditis, children need to be monitored closely by cardiologists. Um, and tested. And oftentimes, because of the scarring that occurs, they will not resume activities that they previously were
3: taking part of.
2: Uh, it just, it takes the words away from me, Monique. I literally have no words. And we've come to the end of our time together with you all today, and we leave on a heavy note. Um, it's a time for much prayer for our nation and for our nation's children, for our families, and for our future. Right,
1: right, Nicole. Prayer should not be our last resort. It is our first for God knows all and can heal all. And we want to give the parents this information so that they are empowered when when pressured to have these injections for their children, they have the knowledge to stand up against
2: it and fight for their children. That's exactly right. We will look forward to coming together again, where we're going to continue our discussion about these deadly injections and the direct assault on our children. We thank you all for being with us today.
0: Thank you for joining us today on the Whistleblower Report from Truth for Health Foundation. Check out our website, www.truthforhealth.org. Join our crusade. We are silent no more. We urge you to sign up for our email alerts, donate to support our legal defense work, to secure the human and civil rights secured by law, and to live our lives in accordance with the U.S. Constitution and God's truth. We are here to bring you hope and solutions for such a time as this with all that is assaulting our way of life join us and stand strong against the lies and deception and speak out get loud get involved god bless you and thank you for joining us